The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to Top 5 Movies. This is John Burke, and with me this week is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And Michael Sanchez. Hello. <laughs> uh, Mike and I are... On the last day of our Thanksgiving vacation, and we are back to the yeah. grindstone tomorrow. Um, how you feeling, bud? I'm, I'm in the depression of the last hours of break. Oh, no. Yeah. And it, it's crazy, because I love my job, but I still, like, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, like, but it's nice to have a break. It's nice to have a Everybody break and a break. freedom, like, to kind of do whatever, you know? Like, it's nice, and then it's like, oh, yeah, now I got to, like be responsible again and that's that stresses well, me out one of my favorite things um when i was a store manager and my idea of adulting is being able to go and watch a movie matinee like in the middle of the week i did <laughs> i that. don't know i did that this week I, <laughs> you know i just feel like that's adulting to me i don't get to do that with my job now but i'm just saying <laughs> it is it's fun times um although i did take my kid with me when i did that but you know it's all that's okay though um we went actually, I guess technically, to two matinees because we went and saw three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, Wednesday afternoon, and then we went and saw Wonder Thursday afternoon. Um, but that one was like closer to five; it was like four something for that one, and then three billboards was like two o'clock though, so that was more matinees. But nice busy movie week for me. Um, have you guys been uh, doing anything special, anything movie related, or not? I finally got around. I'm late on the boat with it, but I finally got around to Baby Driver, or at least finishing it oh. today. I want to rewatch it again. Well, it's always, you know how it is when everybody is always, pra- you know, when something is praised heavily, I always worry what my reaction will be. Uh-huh. You've been there. You're, you're, so I, I, did, I, I want to watch it again. I will say, even having read spoilers, Saw nowhere the references to the Commodores and REM in it. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Um, y- your mic cut a little bit there. I think you're you're you sound a little echoey now, but um, huh. it might be better now. Um, but okay. overall, did did you at least like it a little bit? Or no, I did. I did like it, and now I'm thinking back on it. It seemed very like he was um, giving lots of homages to d- different things. Oh, definitely. Um, there is a really my favorite interpretation of the film was from Guillermo del Toro, uh, who did a thirteen tweet kind of review about the film, um, where he uh, yeah it's thirteen tw- uh, tweets and those have been compiled by uh, fans and you can find them if you search uh, Guillermo del Toro tweets about Baby Driver or something along those lines. Um, but he basically points out that it's a fairy tale. Yes, and, yes, uh, I can see that. And you you know, you have your prince, you have your princess, you have your evil dragon that has to be slain, you have your, your mentor character, uh, your character who um you think you can trust but later turns on you kind of thing. Spoilers kind of, I guess. Although there's a lot of characters in that movie, so if you've not seen it, it doesn't necessarily spoil anything. But um yeah, I, I really enjoy his interpretation. I think it adds a lot to the film. Um we just watched that in my advanced class. 
uh, about, well, I guess it's been about two months already. Um, whenever it first came out, we watched it. So I don't know now if it's been a, a month or two months, but um, my kids really enjoyed it too because we watched all of Wright's films last year uh, as part of our auteur study. And that was their, actually one of their final projects was to determine based on on evidence of what an auteur is, whether or not Edgar Wright qualifies. And so with his newest movie, we I had to show it to him. So, um, but they they enjoyed it as well. Uh, not everybody loved it, but everybody liked it. <coughs> um, well, I, I, now I'm watching it again and looking at it that way because I would say, and if you haven't seen Wild at Heart by David Lynch, that would be another one to watch because that that very much would apply to wild at heart is almost as if it's his interpretation or extrapolation of the wizard of oz oh interesting i need to see so, like every lynch film still i've only seen uh fire Walk with me and Eraserhead, so i've got <laughs> i've got a lot to watch um and I've, sorry i'm just laughing because that's i know that's not one that you probably shouldn't yeah, you need started to, with. You should te- no. check out our uh, our podcast episode, Mike, if you haven't heard that movie club episode where Corey and I discuss Eraserhead in detail um, to hear our our full thoughts. But um, it should have been live as you watched it. it should have been <laughs> because those reactions are very you, you get very deep into that, and I know there's some what intonation moments that were probably had as you watch it i know there were for me and i've watched it a couple times and it's it's not easy to watch well i'll say too um this week because i've had a lot more free time than normal because even usually thanksgiving break i still have a lot of work to do like grades are like interims are coming out when we get back kind of thing usually but this time it was before so i'm actually like caught up with everything so i not only did i watch a lot of movies but i've also been playing a lot of video games um i beat the uh, battlefront 2 campaign uh, the Star Wars Battlefront 2 campaign, which I liked a whole lot. Um, and that might have a major impact on the films uh, because it is supposed to be canon. Um, and there's some oh. things hinted at that are really cool. Um, I don't know if they'll come to fruition or not, but it is intriguing. Um, and some of the theories uh, have added weight because of the pressure that, um, you know, EA Sports, not EA Sports, sorry, EA uh, has a really horrible money model with their games lately where they have a lot of microtransactions and it's ultimately becomes pay to play and even though you already yeah even though you've bought the $60 game but if you really want to be able to uh succeed you have to drop some more money or more likely someone who has the money to drop will be uh ahead of everybody and dominating because they had the money to to drop so disney apparently was very vocal about not ha- not being happy with EA and kind of put the extra pressure because the the fan base is already talking boycott about the game because of the microtransactions and stuff. And EA did backpedal and they they kind of fixed they fixed at least the microtransaction aspect for the time being. And um, one of the theories is that Disney was uh, like put a lot of weight into the campaign, expecting it to do very well, um, you know, sales wise, so that fans would get this extra bit of story. And then got kind of worried that because fans were talking boycott and stuff that the this potentially major story development again it's not finalized even within the campaign but there is some uh, information that could be leaked through the campaign possibly uh, would have just been missed so it, it is uh, tying it back to film 
I did enjoy it. If you got, if you haven't played it, um, if you like Star Wars, it's kind of a must-have. Even though, yes, EA is kind of evil when it comes to video games. But um, I also started Assassin's Creed Origins too. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Well, it has it has some similarities with I know the net neutrality stuffs become a big thing. Oh yeah, and it almost seems very related in a sense. You know, I think you can make a an analogy comparison to it because if you're paying yeah. to unlock certain content versus paying to have internet access for certain things or having different pa- it's it's a whole I don't yeah i heard things like uh verizon could charge you to like um use another search engine other than yahoo because they own yahoo that kind of Jeez. thing um, that's ridiculous yeah and i just hope that google just finally launches their you know world takeover plan and and give us all free wi-fi and then they just own us i'd be fine with that like all hail dictator <laughs> Google. you um, know what's funny and i didn't realize that our our city here in certain spots there are larger uh areas that are covered by city wi-fi now oh i didn't free realize city it. wi-fi interesting yeah. Um, that's something that hopefully will become a thing. Internet should be free, as um, especially not limited like Xfinity. Um, sorry, uh, not to name drop, but um, yeah. So, Corey, have you done anything this Thanksgiving break? I know you didn't have a break, but you know Thanksgiving. I'm about to get so much heat. I saw Thor Ragnarok yesterday. Uh huh. And I'm really sad that I watched it. Actually. <laughs> That is that is that is insane to me. Have you have you seen Hunt for the Wilder People? Yes, I love that movie. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, you you didn't find the movie entertaining? It was funny, but it was long. And oh, as go. a person who does not <laughs> like superhero movies, it did not need to be two hours and ten minutes. It, it, there was some stuff you could have trimmed. Ultimately, yeah, and I felt like they were trying too hard to be funny. It was like the whole movie was just like all comic relief i felt like you know what i mean i didn't feel like i was laughing and stuff but i just felt like it was trying too hard mm. and i should have just skipped out anyways because i'm just over i am just over the comic book stuff i'm over the superheroes i'm just so i should have known that going in anyways i should have just gone to see i should have tricked bill into going to see ladybird well, oh no our movie's in this theater and you know well here, but here. i didn't one, yes. stop stop lumping superhero movies into a, like, they're all going to be bad. Because one, you liked Wonder Woman. Two... Yeah, I did. Exactly my point. So don't say you're tired of superhero movies. You're tired of certain superhero movies. Let's be real. Thor is not for everybody, and I will give that. I don't like the first two Thor movies. Um, I do yeah, like I, the I, third I, one. Go ahead, Mike. I, I'm with you. I did not care for the first two. In fact, I probably fell asleep on the second one and i'm glad i spent yeah. no box office on those so i've been hesitant me either actually. and haven't watched either either of those of those uh, of the hero offerings not because i'm tired of them i'm just very worried and i've heard good and bad and i i think i'd like each for what they are well i and i, I can totally see um uh, some of your points i don't i don't feel like the humor was trying too hard um, there is a lot of it, though. It is pretty much uh, – it's a comedy. It's a legit superhero comedy. It's the first, I think, of its kind. Technically, I guess Deadpool is a superhero comedy, but his character is hard to put in any other category, um, although it's a little more action-packed. The action, I thought, was pretty bad in Ragnarok. I thought it was 
Now, again, overuse of CG is getting kind of tiresome. Um, and while Kate Blanchett, I thought was great. Oh, I loved her in that. I liked her in that role. But her character was kind of useless in the movie. Cheesy. Other than sending Thor to that planet, it felt like it should have been two different movies. Because um, the whole time that he's mm. battling on that planet should have been one movie. And it, she was just kind of like a bookend to the beginning and the and the end. And it, it felt that way, unfortunately. Because, again, she did great stuff with that character. But the character really <laughs> doesn't get a whole lot to do other than, you know, I'm angry, I'm going to kill everything. Like, okay, again with this. And I'm here to... Show you that nothing you know is real. Yeah, the superhero movies that I'm getting tired of are the ones that have the world is going to be blown up by some random person who has no real motivation for doing it. And I want for once one of these villains to explain what they gain by destroying the entire world. Like, what do you get if you do that? You lose two, right? Like, if you're, the world is gone, then what? Like, it's like Galactus, which is a Marvel like supervillain, like mega supervillain who eats planets, he has to eat the planet. That's the only way he survives. So there's a reason. There's a purpose. Yes. Otherwise, if you live on Earth and you destroy Earth, then what? Like, what is your goal? Like, it makes no sense to just make that always the way it's going to be. Like, there needs to be something more than them just wanting to destroy things. And... It's it's in so many... Some men want to see the the world burn, Mr. (laughs) White. Yeah. I wish they. I would at least buy that if that's what they said. <laughs> if but, they're just that's that's your Sean Connery and like, as Alfred. Honestly, of all the villains, though, the Joker would make the most sense because the Joker does just want to watch the world burn. That's the thing. He has no. We know what his motivation is. It, it's to to get to Batman. But he and uh, he and uh, Doctor Malcolm would be like best yeah, buds. Man, um, but. Not to dwell on it. I'm I'm sorry that you didn't like it, though. I mean, would you say you liked some of it or, like, you hated the whole thing? I didn't hate the whole thing. I just – and I know that that just seems like a Corey thing, that it felt really long, but it did. I was just like, okay. So, yeah. um, um, I don't think it's a total waste of time, and to be honest, I'm the only person that I've heard talk negatively about it, so – I've heard some other don't. people make criticisms – um, but I think everyone's general consensus is it's a solid movie, but there are flaws. Um, and that was really my like I I didn't I don't believe I listed it as a must see. I think I went not quite golden um, because the the plot again is kind of weak. Like the it's fun, it's a funny movie, but there is the plot has problems, and it's Hella's character is lame. Like again, she's great, but the whole premise of her story doesn't really do much for the the plot. And same thing, uh, honestly, Justice League is worse, way worse. The villain is not entertaining and not in any way good. At least Hella puts on a show. Um, Should it have been a Planet Hulk movie? It could have easily have been a, again, if that, exactly. If you take out Hella, um, let's say Thor's in another battle where his hammer is stolen or lost or broken or destroyed or whatever, um, and he ends up captured and put on that planet that's the movie and then him escaping from the planet which would trim probably 20 to 30 minutes off the movie making it about an hour and a half which is the normal length for a comedy and making Corey's point valid so i think that would have been a much better overall experience because that's where the weakness feels like hella's story deserved to be told but it should have been the focus not a side story like it's the reason he gets sent to the planet 
and then we go we go back to her every once in a while, but it's really irrelevant to what's happening to Thor until the end of the movie, and then he shows up, and then the expected of a superhero movie happens. So, well, I get a feeling that Corey's just pushing for the Corey Star director's cut, or not director, but the <laughs> Corey Star cut in a special Steelbook edition. Yes. Well, one thing I'll I heard. So it is. One thing whoever I heard can make that happen about um. One of the criticisms I heard is that the stuff on the planet with Jeff Goldblum and and Hulk being there and and Loki there felt like the Taika Waititi movie, and all the stuff with Hela felt like he was forced to include that into the movie. And again, I think if you look at the what I said about the comedy elements, I think that there's some validity to that. Now I don't know, obviously, uh, Taika is not my boy or anything, so I haven't talked to him about it, but um, I do think uh, that there's some truth into that. So. Um, this week, you know, folks. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Speaking of Thor, you know what I forgot to mention? I finally, uh, and you know, now that I've finally gotten through Baby Driver, I finally got through Drive. Ah, uh, yes. Valhalla Rising. Oh, nice. And I really want to watch Only God Forgives. I do too, but oh, I've heard bad things about that one. I don't. I, I, I've I've heard the theory. I've watched it. I I still want to watch it. I think that the theories make sense as to what the one the title reference and the minimal dialogue and everything. And there's, I forget the guy's name and I just subscribed to his YouTube channel, but he made some very, very valid points. And then I kind of kept watching and he also did, did um, a bit on the room and the disaster artist. Oh, nice. I was kind of surprised because I thought there was a blackout on. Yeah. Uh, there's no... Yeah. We forgot to mention, we forgot to mention that we watched that. Uh, yes. Um, we did not mention that Mike and I went on Monday to see the disaster artist. Uh, we're not really at liberty to discuss our overall opinions, although this podcast won't officially release till Wednesday, so we're we're closer. But um, we can say if we liked it or not, and uh, that's it for the moment. Uh, my full review will be released on the first. Um, even though there are reviews out right now, we were asked by A24 to refrain. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm just I think it's more because he knows the buzz is going to be there, and he wants um, the reviews to kind of spike and it, it benefits us too the the day the movie comes out it's more likely people are going to look up reviews on it so um yeah and and uh the guys from a24 have been amazing so i definitely don't want to do anything to upset them um so if you're listening to this thank you uh again i'd love to keep reviewing your movies um and please add some screenings in boise idaho thank you <laughs> Because uh, yeah, I've got to see several of the the big um, indie films for this this uh, this season through A twenty four Lady Bird, um, the Disaster Artist, uh, Good Time, which has got a bunch of Indie Spirit Award nominations. Um, Get Out from which is not A twenty four, but Get Out got a bunch of Indie Spirit Award nominations. Lady Bird got a few as well. Um, so we're you know the things we're starting to see kind of indications about the Oscar nominations, and uh, I think Lady Bird's got a couple of likely nominations for sure. Um, so I highly recommend if you haven't seen it, you check that out. Uh, I like the disaster artist, Mike. Uh, what were you, did you want to say anything like that or? Oh, I, I couldn't give it enough praise. It's, it's much more. And even thinking back to bunch, I don't want to get into much details. It's just, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm glad we got to see it. Very, very glad. Yep. I am too. I hope it gets a, a wide release. I'm thinking because of the people behind it. Um, it's going to get a wider release than normal um, because of Franco and Rogan. And uh, uh, I think Warner Brothers is co-distributing um, with A24. So that's going to oh. increase the likelihood that it will will end up in more theaters, I think. so. Um, well, 
and you you even got to have a great little jibe at the Asian food place. You should share that. Oh. And I didn't realize A24 <laughs> falls under under the, um, I want to say, one of the merger companies. I don't know if it was Time Warner or, you know how they're, they're oh. wanting to have this big merger. A24 is one of their subsidiaries, but I forget oh. which. Um, so Interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that, actually. I don't know. I, I just happened to see that. I know A24 has uh, had some of my favorite movies over the last two years, um, maybe three oh, years, yeah. um, going back to uh, The Room and Ex Machina, and then Green Room, not The Room, sorry, Room, and uh, Green Room, um, and then uh, this year, I mean, there's just been tons, a Good Time, Lady Bird, The Lovers, um, just been amazing, so... Uh, this week, though, in fact, I think the disaster artist is a good example to lead us in to our topic for this week. We have, we're going to be talking about our top five um, period pieces, which are uh, it's a harder thing to define than I would have thought. But essentially, it's a movie that whenever it was made, it's set in a time before. Now, yes. we could not agree exactly on how how long it would need to be, but. I, it's not on my list, um, and I don't know if it's on yours, Mike. I hope not. If it is, I apologize for stealing your thunder. But The Disaster Artist could qualify, technically, because it's set in 2003. Or actually, it's set in 1999, I think, is when it all starts. Or something like that. I'm probably giving away too many plot details. But um, it's the making of... Oh, oh hi, Buck. Yeah, you could get so me um It could very easily qualify as a period piece. It is not on my on my top five. Um, I do have it listed as an honorable mention, which I'm mentioning it right now. So, um, but it, it's debatable. Is that far enough away to be a period piece? And um, so, we all, we kind of agreed to not make a decision, and we would just have to argue our our case. But ultimately, these are films that, uh, when being made, attention to the time matters. Like, when is this movie taking place? And that, of course, if you're doing something set far back in time, it costs more to do. Um, you have to, you know, make costumes, and if if there's cars, and you have to get the right type of cars, otherwise you have anachronistic problems, and that's uh, things that people pick out and, and criticize extremely in film. So the the thing is, though, what I found really hard about making this list is there's so many movies that qualify as a period piece with that loose definition. Did you guys uh, run into that same? theory or some um, issue i think I, I think all mine except for maybe one fall under the traditional definition of a period piece and i think the other part is it had to be a historical time but i think at this point i mean the 1980s would be history to us yes i you I, know I, and, I, so, and definitely i don't, I don't think anything um i think anything before 95 is a guarantee if it's not made in that time period obviously that's the other catch you have to know when the movie was made to make that decision um and of course the other question is how much of the movie has to be dedicated to the period to qualify as a period mm. piece which we never addressed either um so we have a lot of possibilities here because i brought up in uh, this is not on my list either but back to the future is set in 1985 when it was made, but it goes back to 1955 for three quarters of the film. So does that count as a period piece? And then, I, if anything, I would say, and hopefully I'm not stealing anyone else's picks, but I would say the third one more than any of the others. Well, the second one, I well, I guess I do go back to 55 in the second one, but 
Um, the second one, definitely the future part. No, that's not a period piece. That's fantasy. Um, the third one, definitely, I agree with because almost all of it is in the past. In technically mm-hmm. speaking, even when he comes back to 1985, I think it was 90, 1990 when they actually made the third one. So it was even kind of a period piece then because they had to make it look like it was five years ago. But <laughs> um, that's odd. There is a lot of uh, questions, obviously, that we have. Um, so we won't, you know, it's this is going to be a controversial episode, possibly. Did we pick movies that qualify as period pieces to other people or not? And if not, I would really like to hear from whomever uh, correcting us because I thought I knew what it was. And then when I started doing my, my list, I was like, maybe I don't. Because <laughs> at one point I was like, is there a difference between a biopic and uh, a period piece and my answer is yes but a biopic is most likely a a period piece but a period piece does not necessarily have to be a biopic because um, one of the definitions I read Mike is while it can be set in a specific distinct time period the characters don't have to necessarily be historically real or accurate or even based on actual people um, I think but Maybe I'm wrong. So, and silence. So, um, this week uh, it's going to be Mike first, then me, then Corey. Um, before we get into our list, Corey. Dun dun dun! If you don't want us to spoil these movies for you, you can go to BerkReviews.com and check out each of our lists. Otherwise, full steam ahead. We might be talking about these movies in great detail. And before we get into our list, Corey and I have to wager. How many of Mike's movies we think we uh, have seen? And this Darn one's it. definitely going to be a challenge. I feel like I went first picking my number last week, so I will let you pick first. Uh, I feel like even what I'm going to say is more than I'm going to actually know, but I'm going to go with two. Two it is. I am going to go with... Uh, I was going to go four. I'm going to go big. Um Dang. I, I mean, it's very likely that's going to be way off, but I figured, what the heck, you know? I'm there's impressed. no, there's no yeah. stakes right now. Um, <laughs> I think I think I heard you hashtag YOLO just now. Uh, YOLO. No, I quit. Never mind. I'm, I'm going to sleep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What happens when you bet big? Mike, you're up first. What is your number five period piece? All right. Um, I'm going with Autour Philip Kaufman's take. I didn't realize how extensive his body of work was. Um, and I have to dig up some of those titles, but his take on the time that Marquis de Sade spent in a sanatorium in his film, uh, Quills from 2000. Now my list typically includes a film that is extremely difficult to watch. And that, that is an extreme understatement for this one. There just the idea of something set around the Marquis de Sade, the infamous Marquis de Sade, should wow. give someone a clue about where this is going to end up. On top of that, he is, you know, this is a, based on an actual person and someone that had, you know, it's very, oh, I can't, I can't even do the PG. The name should ring a bell. If not, you know, this would be a learning moment for you all. Honestly, I can't really put it in a succinct wrap-up because there's a lot that goes on in the film. Uh, the, the cast is just amazing. It's very solid. Jeffrey Rush plays the Marquis. Kate Winslet's in it. Joaquin Phoenix, Michael Caine, 
and that's just a part. Uh, I think Robbie Coltrane is on the list as well. I, if you watch this, definitely follow up with something more uplifting. This is not something you'd want to sit and stew about because it's really dark and the stuff that happens to the main characters, it, it, it doesn't, it just, no. I mean, again, it's about the Marquis de Sade, but I, it's one that not everyone has gotten a chance to see and should. Uh, my wife and I both liked it. And it, it, for her, it, it just, it really stuck out to us. Um, I'm looking for Philip Calton's other work. Oh, 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 he, uh, the first one that stuck out to me, he directed the 19th service, uh, 70s, version of invasion of the body snatchers oh i love that movie that holds up really so well too. Must, yeah i believe so too and i want i wanted to watch let me oh, oh well he's a writer i'm sorry i'm looking at his writing credits not his directing credits he's got a lot of good writing credits um yeah i'm looking actually i should do it the other way i should search for quills because there's a lot of philip kaufman's actually unless i got the wrong person if i got the wrong person no you're right that. i'm looking at it it's he's 2000 philip kaufman he might have spelled Philip wrong because it's just one L. Oh, um, with the one L. Yep. Um, and then, but he's got writing credits on some big movies too. He's uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales, which is one of my actually oh, one of the man. only Clint Eastwood westerns I've ever seen. But I love that movie. Um, he, he's got That's writing a great credits: one Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade. Um, yeah, this guy's been around for a long while. I, I'd like to see some of the newer stuff. Uh, there was a. 2012 TV movie, something called Twisted, uh, Rising Sun, Henry and June, Unbearable Lightness of Being, the right stuff. Um, well, I'll say though, um, I, I, I one, I feel very uncultured. One, because I've not heard of this movie, and with this cast, I feel like I should have heard of it because Kate Winslet and Joaquin Phoenix alone. But then you get Jeffrey Rush, who is great in a lot of stuff, and then Michael Caine. You know, it's Michael Caine. Um, but I also don't I don't know what the Marquis de Sade is because I, I am not good with history. So I'm feeling a little um, ashamed uh, at the, the moment. The term sadist originates from the, Cardi, the Marquis de Sade. Mm. I did not know that. Okay. Um, someone that likes to inflict pain on others as a pleasure to themselves. Oh, okay. And masochism and whatnot. Got it. So I have now a better understanding of what this movie's about. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, I am a fan oh. of Kate Winslet and Joaquin Phoenix, though. So I'm. Everyone is fantastic in the film, and I wasn't really sure what I was getting into. Oh, and I didn't even say, uh, I didn't even do my stats, which I already have it. Uh, let's see: seventy-five percent fresh, eighty-three percent audience score, seven point four IMDb score, three point four Letterboxd, and a seventy meter score. So pretty solid scores all around. The audiences seem to like it better than the freshness rating it has. So. It, as dark of the content and and whatnot that's in it, 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 it I think it strikes a chord with people. Definitely, um, and Corey, I assume you're on the same page as me, having not seen Quills. No, I haven't. And you are a huge Joaquin Phoenix fan. Did you know this movie existed? No. Yeah, it's it's always it blows my mind when it's big name actors that I've like definitely looked at their IMDb before. And still yeah. didn't know this movie existed. Like I, I just looked at Kate Winslet because when I just showed my class Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and so and I still didn't notice Quills when I'm scrolling through her list. You know what I mean? Like that's the crazy thing. Um, granted, she's got a big body of work, but still, like mm-hmm. I should, I feel like I should at least know of this movie, and I, do, I am completely clueless on it. So 
Uh, that's what I love about having Mike on this show. He he opens my eyes to things that were right in front of me, but somehow missed. So, I guess that leads to me, since Corey and I have nothing to contribute as far as uh, <laughs> commentary. I was just reading the MD for it, and I was like, dang. I know, it's it seems hey. pretty harsh. Um, mine, I think all of us have seen. Um, and uh, I think this director has a fondness uh, for period pieces, um, as... Most of his films are set in the past, uh, in in a in a fiction or in a uh, historical past, but with a fictional premise almost always uh, entwined to it. And I went with Guillermo del Toro's *The Devil's Backbone*, um, a film I I know I have talked about at least once before, but it's set during the Spanish Civil War and is an an analogy for the Spanish Civil War. And one of the things I think makes it so strong as a period piece is he does have to make it feel like it's in that time period. Um, but it also the events are are uh, you know fantastical. There's a ghost. Um, it's being haunted. There's a bomb sitting in the center of this um, orphanage, just as a constant reminder of the danger that everyone is in because of the war. Um, it is it's a fantastic movie. It's um, moody. It's not a traditional horror film, although there's definitely moments of horror. Um, they don't come necessarily where you think they will, and. Uh, it has a 78 Metacritic, 7.5 user rating. Um, I don't think there's a big name actor that I'm super familiar with, at least. Uh, Marisa Paradis, Eduardo Noriega, uh, Federico Lupi, um, or Lupi, Fernando Telv. Oh boy, I butchered that one. Um, that's what I do, guys. That's what I do. Um, and oddly, no Doug Jones, and that's the rarity of. Uh, his early films where Doug Jones is not in them. But um, I would say I wouldn't be surprised if Del Toro shows up on someone else's list, but not necessarily this movie. I could have easily gone with the sister film to the devil's backbone with Pan's labyrinth, but um, because it's also set in the Spanish civil war. Um, and I think you even see the war. Uh, well, you definitely see the war much more extensively in Pan's labyrinth. Um, but I think the uh, subtlety of it in this movie and it's, it's, you're just aware of it. You, you know, it's there. Um, is very memorable and I again I think a lot of people know of Pan's Labyrinth and not as many are familiar with Devil's Backbone so I like to talk about it when I can I, I this is a great one I, I'm glad I lucked out I don't even remember how I got to watch it uh, but it, it, I figure it's tougher to find and it's so good I did buy all it around. Um, I mean that, and that's not even doing it justice agreed and I, I bought it on Amazon um you know, for like ten bucks. So I mean, it's not too hard to get a hold of if you want it. I highly recommend it. Um, I think it is on Criterion. It is on Criterion. It has an awesome Criterion box. I I just have the regular. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, the Criterion artwork is amazing. Um, I kind of wish I had the Criterion, still, but you still need to watch Chronos then too, right? Oh, I've seen Chronos. Oh, you've seen it? Okay. Yeah, I actually have the Criterion DVD. Unfortunately, not the Blu-ray for that one. Uh, oh. That I found used at Fye for ten bucks. Uh, could not believe I it. Guess. So, um. I definitely snagged that one when I saw it. Uh, I like Cronus a lot too. I, I do like Devil's Backbone more, um, but I think it just it's more Same. my sensibilities. Because um, I don't I don't think I like vampires like not like on a personal level like in terms of fiction <laughs> like they tend to not work for me um, in in most in most movies that I've seen. I don't I don't enjoy the vampire films um, except for Twilight. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> He's not kidding. He has no, all the special I, editions. I He's do. got the books. I actually have a sparkly guys... Edward Cullen in my yeah. uh, recording room. I'm looking at him uh, right now. Team Edward. Provocatively in the eyes, but it's okay. Um, 
no. They sparkle. Uh, I just spray glitter on him every once in a while. Just. <laughs> um, I can't. Uh, Corey, do you have anything to add to Devil's Backbone? That's a great choice. I don't think anyone can do ghost stories like Guillermo Del Toro. Yeah, and I I don't think anyone does production value like Del Toro. Like, his movies, even Devil's Backbone is a low-budget film by comparison to, like, The Pan's Labyrinth, where there's so much costume and so much design, but his production sensibilities are outstanding. Even at a low budget, it doesn't show. No, no. I mean, it really... You feel like you've been thrown back into that time period. Yeah, big time. Yeah, thank you for tying it back to the actual subject because that's the key here is that it is uh, – you're very much – it feels like the cameras have traveled back in time to this time period, which um, I'm so bad with history. Mike, when was the Spanish Civil War? Do you know? Oh, you know, that should be right up at the top of my head, but let's see. I'm trying to think. I want to say it's – Generally, Francisco. Uh, it's thirty-six to thirty-nine. Okay, I want to say close to World War Two because Friend- Saturday Night Live was making fun of, and there's even that little joke in "You've Got Mail" that the grandma had dated General Mesimo Francisco Franco. Oh. Anyway, so thanks, Corey. Yeah, good, good, quick Google for you, Corey. Um. Actually, I just knew that, guys. I'm a history major. I'm just kidding. I was going to say, I Googled it and found it in two seconds, but okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but uh, all right. So Devil's Backbone is my pick uh, for number five period piece. So, Corey, what is your number five period piece? Dun, dun, dun. I've talked about this movie before. I think I'm the only person in the planet, on the planet that likes this movie, but I love um, 2012's Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe. I haven't seen it yet. I love this you're, movie. You're, you're okay if you didn't. I mean, just kidding. <laughs> no, I think that I am the only person that loves this movie. Um, but it takes place in 1916 London. Daniel Radcliffe plays a um, widower who has to go to this remote village to try to find, I believe, a will or something. But there's talk of the woman in black and she's a ghost. And whenever children see her, they die. Um, I just really like it. I really like a good ghost story. Um, the ending, I feel like could leave some people feeling Mm -hmm. a little, uh, whatever. That's why I loved when I was reading about woman in black to Daniel Radcliffe is not involved in this. And I'm like, how could he? Because the way the first one ended. Yeah. Um, I, I love Woman in Black. The first one, I the second one, I bought it and I watched it, but I haven't ever felt compelled to rewatch it like I have rewatched the first one. Um, it's a very dark um, film, even um, like aesthetically, it's very like overcast, uh, lots of black and gray, and like uh, high contrast, sepia looking. Yeah, um, yeah. Um. It has a 62 Metacritic, so I mean, it wasn't hated by. Does it? I'm kind of surprised. So um, that's a and a 64 user rating. So it's it, people liked it. It doesn't look like they loved it, but there's people who definitely liked it. Um, and it's one that I, I like Radcliffe. I, I've not seen him in anything where I wasn't impressed with his performance. So I would be willing to watch this. I just haven't got around to it. Oh, what was he did something with John Hamm? It was like a three or four part. Mm. television and i know it's television but um they play young doctors or something and if you like 
Daniel Radcliffe or John Hamm, I would suggest. Hmm, I don't know. I, I did just remember, though, that he's in um, Now You See Me 2, and he wasn't so good in that. So that's the one exception. In the what? Now You See Me 2. The, uh, the, oh, the I... magician Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson, Mark Ruffalo, um, oh, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman. Uh, it, I don't know if that one should have been made. It should not have been made. The first one is so bad when you look at it from outside of it, but it's so much fun when you're watching it. Like I, I got sucked into the first one and then was like mm-hmm. thinking about it. I'm like, this is really dumb, but I loved it. And then the second one was like, mm-hmm. this is not fun. This is this is torture. It's just really it's, dumb. Yeah, it's and it's he, just dumb. He played in um, Allen Ginsberg in Kill Your Darlings, which I keep telling you to watch. I need to watch that. Yeah, that's been on my list for a while. Uh, and what I was oh. talking about is a young Doctor's Notebook and other stories. I just pulled it up. Yep, 2012 TV Sorry, series. Sorry, apparently had eight episodes. And yep. I, if you haven't seen Swiss Army Man, I can't I can't stress enough how oh. great that movie is. And horns. I, I liked him in Horns. I liked Horns, too. I want to watch that. I and need to watch I, that. I watched that this summer. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. Um, he's His performance is great. Mm-hmm. And Imperium, which was from last year, I think, uh, where he plays a undercover FBI agent who infiltrates a white supremacist organization, which now might be a little too on the nose. But what? at the time when I watched it, it wasn't. So um, it was like, this is fiction. And then like it came out like, there's all sorts of white supremacists. You're like, ah, crap. But... Um, <laughs> Mm, Imperium, yeah, though, just he's looking at the images of it. Yeah, it, it's crazy, and it he's but he's great in the movie. It is it was a tough watch then. Ooh. It's got to be even tougher now. But um, but, but it has Tony Collette in it. Yes, she's she's his uh, commanding officer. She's great. I am I'm a big Tony Collette. I was actually by accident. I kept watching her movies, like not realizing she was in them. Like I watched Fright Night with Anton Yelchin. She's his mom in that. Yeah. And, um, I was just like bam 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 bam, and yeah, so. That's been one of my favorite things this year. I've introduced oh, my students to, um, yes, Crump, uh, Krampus, and I introduced my students to uh, Allison Janey uh, and Tony Collette. So, like, super trying to get them aware of people. Go ahead. Don't leave out Muriel's wedding. My first episode oh, memory. I just Tony Collette. Watch that like two years Japanese ago. Japanese story. Muriel's wedding. Oh, we loved me. My wife and I loved Muriel. It was so good, and it has Brenda Chinoweth from uh. Da, 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 six feet under in it, and I always forget huh. her real name. Gosh, that was nineteen ninety four. That's nuts. You know, I'm noticing a bad pattern with my movie selections. I got to start picking older movies. A lot of my movies have like they're in the last ten years, and I don't like that because I've seen stuff you know way before um, the last ten years. But I think, I, it's I think all over the place. You or are if like. Like, with some that I haven't seen in a while, I don't feel comfortable talking about That's them. That's me, too. I do that, too. Exactly the same. In fact, like there's I one have... on my list that I'm like, I've only seen it once, and it was like three years ago. I hope I can, like... I think in, in, that you know. we just need to go into it like Mike does. Like, we want to talk about these movies that a lot of people probably haven't heard about, and then just do it confidently. Yeah, and or, do, like, just read the plot summary again on Wikipedia or something, just to at least refresh your memory of what... what <laughs> What it was that made yeah, you I mean, remember I mean, the movie. My picks, except for maybe one, I haven't watched recently, but I, they did, did stick out to me. Which is perfect, since it's my turn. It is. Uh, good segue. Yeah, number yeah, four, yeah, Mike. Segue. So, um, my next pick, the Alan Moore graphic novel that deals with the Whitechapel murders from the late 1800s, the Jack the Ripper murders, was the background for 2001's From Hell. Oh. And now I know that oh. kind of Alan Moore disowned or took his name off of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen 
and I was never even picked that one as as even an honorable mention. I mean, it's a fun, silly kind of campy movie, but I, I felt it just fell flat. From yeah. Hell, I, it, let's be honest. To me, it's just that was 2001, so that's about 16. That's 16 years ago, and it's so weird how much Johnny Depp has changed with regards to the roles he takes, the performances that he gives in those those years. That's one thing, and the other thing, it's the it's a gargantuan task to adapt a work that's over five five hundred twenty two pages. Oh wow! Into a two hour film, and the Hughes brothers just, for me, managed to handle that extremely well. Honestly, I wasn't sure how well it would fit with their typical film style because they had been coming off of Menace to Society, Dead Presidents, and into this period oh. piece, which I I really didn't know because I was aware, and I haven't. Uh, honestly, um, the only Alan Moore one I have is The Watchmen, uh, graphic novel. I, I don't have From Hell or Leo Extraordinary Gentleman. I'd like to get them someday. Um, I'm sure that at, they're at a manageable trade paperback price or something. I need, I should just put that on my Amazon wish list is what I should do. There you go. Anyway, uh, so the, the source material is a mixture of fiction and historical events, and it gives people, viewers, uh, readers, especially those that are fond of conspiracy theories, a lot to chew on. It's a lot to digest. Think of, uh, and and this very intricate artwork and a lot of historical, even in The Watchmen, he threw in uh, the, the little background parts and little different things. He goes into a lot of detail. So there's a mixture of royals, Freemasons, and common people that makes someone wonder what really happened so long ago. It's a case that was never solved. It's still intrigues and it adds another dimension for me. Now the ratings don't really match up to it, but that's okay. I still like it stuck out with me. Heather Graham, Johnny Depp. Uh, you know, I didn't d- dig up all the cast list. I'll just look at that. Um, 57% rotten, 66% audience score, 6.8 IMDb, 3.0 letterboxd and a 54 meta score. So I may be in a minority of, you know, with regards to to that, but it just—I remember seeing into the theater and really enjoying it. Ian Holm plays uh, Robbie Coltrane. Maybe this is the one that I, I saw Robbie Coltrane's name. Uh, who else? I'm trying to think of any other big names. Nothing sticking out to me. But those are the bigger names on the on the cast. Um, I I have I actually am pretty sure I own this movie and I've not watched it. Um, I didn't realize it was an Alan Moore graphic novel, though. Um, mm-hmm. I am. Uh, I've heard pretty positive things from people I know. It has. I think you probably did the the scores, but it has a 54 Metacritic is what I'm looking at, but a 6.8 IMDb uh, score. So, you know, that says something. Um, that people tend your non critics tend to like it. Um, Heather Graham though is interesting because she's she's up and down. You know, like sometimes it's mm-hmm. hard to take her seriously as an actress. And right. Like, uh, but she's been in some good movies. Um, I like her in this. Oh, mm-hmm. you've seen this? Yes, I'm pretty sure I saw this in theaters. That seems oh, right, because this was before you hated Johnny Depp. This is when you were still like yes. gung-ho. When fan. he was still good, yes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I agree with that statement. Um, I think that it's... I am fascinated by that case, though. Me too. Even actually. though we'll never know. We will never we'll know. Just, we'll never know. We, we, nah. Yeah. And you know what? It even goes over the two-hour threshold. By two minutes only, though. So it's just... Well, just still, there. it goes over. After an hour and 30 minutes, it gets a little questionable. Let's be real. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but they're um, taking 522 pages. 
that's impressive. I didn't realize that it was. uh... That's a a big graphic novel, to be honest. Like, that's a lot of pages. That would hurt someone. If you're, like, walking home with a comic book and someone tries to uh, mug you, you can just hit them with it. Yeah. Well, um, all right. That's from hell. Uh, Mike's number four. My number four is from 2016, um, set in the 1970s Los Angeles, and I, I love that part of this movie. I think it's one of the things that um, really <gasps> stood out to me is, uh, and that's the nice guys with Russell Crowe oh. and Ryan Gosling. Uh, Corey, you do that a lot, where you think you know what movie I'm talking I know, about. I know. I thought you were gonna say. Um, I thought you were gonna say. Uh, oh my god. Uh, almost famous. Ah, not that wouldn't be from last year. Um, no, I, I, I know. Did, I wasn't I thinking about the year that. you said it came um, out. Angry Rice, and then uh, directed and written by Shane Black, who I am a fan of. Um, I love this kind of, it's not really noir, but this uh, detective comedy, this buddy cop duo uh, set in the 70s Los Angeles scene where you get to see, you know, they had to recreate things because there's like, I think you see um, Tower Records at one point in the in the shot. They're driving <laughs> by. That's gone. You see uh, oh, the, the comedy store was no longer there, but that's, I think, where Russell Crowe's apartment is. Like these, and I, I only know these things because I've listened to other people in LA. I've never been to LA, but it's cool getting to see what it would have been like in the 70s. And from what I've heard, uh, Shane Black does a really good job of getting those little details in. Um, and even the clothes, like the clothes are, are great. And it's, it's just a fun, I think, underseen movie. Um, it has a 70 Metacritic, yep. so I can't say it's underrated. It's it's positively reviewed. I just think a lot of people slept on it thinking it wouldn't be that good. But it's probably my – it's in my top three for comedies last year for sure. I think Popstar probably beats it um, because I I'm, I love the Lonely Island music. Um, but I do uh, – I love the nice guys. And there's some really great performances from Gosling and Crow, but more angry uh, – whose name I'm probably butchering, but Angry uh, Rice is so good yep. in that movie. You beat me to it. I want to say, that Ryan Reynolds, he's so good. <laughs> uh, Gosling is just, I never would have expected him in this kind of role because it's like the bumbling, very physical comedy slapsticky mm-hmm. in parts. He has a triple take in this works. movie that is so funny um, where he, he, he rolls down the hill and then he sees something <laughs> and it, the triple take he does is so freaking great. <laughs> <laughs> and angry rice and because I, I was looking at she as the daughter is per, every all the three of them is yeah. perfect I, I, I don't know that they could do a sequel to it and i don't know that i would want them to uh just and russell crowe just everything worked perfectly and it was i just under i figure under scene and people didn't know what to do with it yeah it is it's, she was oh go ahead Corey. Oh, she was great in this, and I just saw that she's in The Beguiled. Oh, yeah, I she haven't is. watched that yet. I want to watch that. I want to watch that. I do, that. too. Yeah. I she had a very loved... small bit part in Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. She did. Oh. She's uh, on the news reports. Yeah. I really liked seeing Gosling as a dad in this movie, and I can't remember exactly what took place, but um, is she like at one point she's like pitting them against each other. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, or she, she did you come to take him away or something like that, and it was just like oh, embarrassing to him. The, the whole negotiation for breaking her friend's arm. Oh yeah, that scene is so good. Because I've only seen it the one time. It's pretty yeah. funny though. I've watched. I've only seen it in its entirety once, but I've watched it mo- like 
in chunks on HBO and stuff. It is it's a hard movie to watch if my my daughter's around because mm-hmm. there's a lot of cursing and oh, yeah. cursing's not even as much of a concern. But there's um a whole scene takes place at like a yeah they're searching for the death of a porn star. So there are scenes again. It's not right as, at the beginning. Right yeah, at the beginning. Right at the beginning. But it's not as excessive as it could have been, but it's still mm-hmm. present and ever conversed about. So it's something that you know it's not a, it's not appropriate for all audiences by far. But I did love the movie, and um, I know that it got some of the most laughs. Uh, I saw this with our mutual friend Brendan and um, Big Tuna uh, at the one of our local theaters, and it. They were both uh, at the top of their laughing volume. Rolling. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that's my pick for number four. Um, sounds like both of, both of you guys liked it, but let's move into Corey's. Corey, what do you have for number four? Okay, this is one of the ones I've only seen once, but it's 2002's Far From Heaven. It takes place in 1957. Um, I hadn't watched a lot of Julianne Moore's work, and actually I asked Brendan which of her movies, because he's a big fan, I should check out, and he suggested this one. Um, Julianne Moore plays a housewife in a wealthy suburb. She's married to a handsome and successful man who's played by Dennis Quaid. But she ends up finding out that he is gay. Okay. So her marriage is a sham. And then she ends up falling for... Her gardener, who is actually, who is African-American. So there's also that, I mean, the time period that we're talking about. I just thought it was a very interesting way to handle those types of social. I see, uh, I'm assuming Dennis um, Haysbert is the uh, the man Mm -hmm. she falls in love with. And then I see Viola Davis. The voice of, oh, I forgot she was in it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Oh, of Patricia hers. Clarkson. I'm pretty sure that she's like her friend, but kind of not her friend because she's also a gossip. Ah. Well, I'm sure we have friends like that. It's me. me. Um, I'm just kidding. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we, we both talk <laughs> on that. I don't talk a lot, guys. <laughs> you need to. I'm sure you've already seen Velvet Goldmine by the same director. Me? Yes. I own it and I haven't watched it. Oh, okay. look at that. Horrible I don't even person. know what it is. But it has. Of, has my boy Ewan in it? Yes, you. you uh, I've caught bit, bit, bits and pieces. I'm not big into glam, but it's supposed to be fantastic. But speaking of Julianne Moore, also by the same director, this one will be tougher to find. Um, safe, where she is a, a, another very affluent, oh. very uh, homemaker, and she lives in the suburbs. She lives in the burbs, but then she has extreme chemical sensitivity. And so she can't really, you know, there's a lot that will affect her. That's. It should be noted that this director has worked with Julianne Moore again. Criterion. Um, This director, his newest film, Wonderstruck, is out in theaters right now in limited release and stars Julianne Moore. Um, In fact, that's what Big Tuna saw the same day we saw Disaster Artist. He went and saw that before we saw Disaster Artist. Um, And Wonderstruck also has uh, Michelle Williams. Yeah. Uh, So. Oh, yep. I love her. Oh, so same director, and uh, he also directed uh, Carol from two years ago with um, with Rooney Mara and uh, Kate Blanchett, um, which is another period piece. But I've not seen it yet, so I couldn't do that one. Yeah. Um, but that is a ninety-five Metacritic and did get uh, I think Blanchett and Mara got nominated for um, for their roles, and I think the movie might have. I don't know if it got a Best Picture now, but it definitely was nominated maybe for screenplay. Um, 
But um, so yeah, and that would have definitely been another period piece set in 1950. So that is interesting because I'm sure you guys know the premise of Carol. Yes, actually I don't. Uh, it's uh, a no. lesbian couple in the 50s. Oh okay. And then and I just watched it. that a couple months ago, and I forgot about it for this listing. It, but it was very good. But I wonder. I haven't seen Wonderstruck, but I'm wondering if that's like a common theme that he likes theme in, theme in his movies i mean because the same time period um, as I, this movie 1950s i, I don't know <laughs> that safe would address that maybe velvet goldmine because of the way the 70s glam was uh definitely since you own it definitely watch that since you like this and some of the other works really good i'll have to pick up on let me add that to my watch list wonderstruck and carol i i, got I think some other work Carol is, I think, on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I believe it is. Or it's on Netflix. It's on one of those. Um, I was, nice. I've been eyeballing that one for a while because of the, the best picture. Or Definitely, I like Blanchette, and I'm trying to watch everything she's in. I, I am a fan of Rooney yeah. Mara, but I've not seen and enough Mara. of her stuff. Um, That's interesting because a lot of people don't like the Maras. I like Rooney. I like her a lot. Kate. Kate what I've seen. I liked Kate a lot when I watched House of Cards. Um but she could be a little much. But then I saw Fantastic Four, and and then I and, and then oh. that was kind of it. I think I think that <laughs> we, killed it. We saw that. Yeah, Maybe together. On my birthday. Oh. Um, it was an did, awful birthday. Oh, no. two question mark projects, Peggy Lee Project and a Lou, Re- Lou Reed Velvet Underground Project. Interesting. Sound fantastic. What? That's uh, his That's... in-production on IMDb. Um, at least he's signed on to. It could always change, but that is what's currently on his. Still though, that'd be upcoming. really cool. Yep. Well, I I need to catch up with this director. I don't think I've seen anything from Todd Hayes Haynes, um, and I need to apparently because uh, I think Brendan and Big Tuna were talking about um, him in general, and uh, Big Tuna is a little. He finds him a little. Uh, I think slow was his word. Like he takes his time and it gets a little dull as a result. Um, at least in the movies that he's seen, which I think are only Wonderstruck and Carol. Uh, but Brandon was like, yeah, that's his thing. So I don't know. But I, I want to check some of these out. And I am a big fan of Julianne Moore. So. It was good. All right. Uh, that leads to Mike's number three on his top five period pieces. Uh, all right. All right. All right. Yes. There's no way I could have left Richard Linklater's. 1993 ode to the 1970s off my list. I probably can't add more to this than what's already been said and written about it. And but uh, going back to what we were talking about with Guillermo del Toro, it, t- talk about capturing the feeling of the time—the cars, the clothes, the music, the everything all around. They yeah. had to—they found it difficult, from what I understand, and maybe I got my facts wrong. But I remember reading a long while back that it was very tough to find actors of that build because of the thin build in the seventies and the slim kind of, and so they had to really work at that. And I know there's one scene with the pliers and and zipping up, which my wife remembers her older sisters in that time period, you know, having to do that. (laughs) Um, Just everything all around this remains one of my favorites. I was born in 73. So this was a little, you know, kind of, Maybe I was born too late, but I don't know that I would want to have lived in that time period because there's a whole hazing issue and thing, yeah. and not that that doesn't happen now, but they even have the whole reference to it. Well, you know, the whole community's behind it. They're selling drinks. They're selling this, you know, and it was just a rite of passage, I guess, and that whole 
concept. Now, I mean, this isn't a perfect film. Two things stick out like sore thumbs to me, uh, minimally, but uh, Wiley Wiggins and his continual nose grabs, uh, that gets to me. And But nothing that... I, and then sometimes I wonder about the Affleck. But he was perfect for that role and worked really well as the second-year senior that takes sadistic pleasure in going after them versus Randall Pink Floyd, who kind of buddies up to the, the freshman. So anyway, minimal distractions, but overall, uh, every it, I feel bad for the kid because I don't know if he does that in... You just watched it, I think, the rotoscope one that Richard Linklater did. Not Scanner, Scanner Darkly, Darkly. But yeah. Was it that one? Okay. That's the rotoscope Maybe, one. Uh, he was in... I can't remember the name. I'll dig it up. It's something like Living the Something Life. I can't remember the name of it. I think Wiley Wiggins was the main character in that. Uh, The ratings seem to agree with me. 94% fresh, 90% audience score, 7.7 IMDb score, 3.9 a letterbox score, and a 78 meta score. I don't even own this. I, don't, I have the soundtrack. I never know, bought the follow up. I almost said I didn't. I, I did finally buy it. I bought it on DVD though, used for like a few bucks. And I this is a movie that um, when it's on, I end up watching it. And I I don't even yep. I don't even know what it is because I don't necessarily love it, but it's so engaging that it's hard to ever turn it away. Like it's you know because it is Linklater's got a really loose narrative that's kind of his his flow uh, even in his more narrative films it's a little loose um and he he like I haven't seen a lot of his work and he is I would say it's hard to say he's not an auteur because he definitely has his style but you can watch I think Bernie is a really good example of a movie that's a Linklater film that doesn't feel like this where this and everybody wants them are very similar then I have not watched Uh-oh. the before trilogy, but I hear the before trilogy is amazing. Um, that's before midnight, before sunset, before sunrise. Oh yeah, I haven't watched um, it. Uh, Boyhood, I have not watched. It sounds really slow to me, and I've heard good things. I've heard mixed things, but then I always forget he did School of Rock. Like, would would you ever think? Wow, School of Rock no, was never. Linklater. Like, you don't attach no. that. Um, but uh, you know, Dazed and Confused just works um in every way he did fast food nation and the updated bad news bears as well yeah that's what i'm saying the dude's all over the place with his direction um it's it's... and the newton boys the newton boys which is um the one i was thinking of with wiley wiggins waking life 2001 and the other one named suburbia (laughs) that is not my suburbia but his suburbia Mm mm-hmm because my suburbia has Flea and all the all the other punkers, and his suburbia is different. Well, then he currently oh. has uh, Last Flag Flying out in theaters, which is getting a lot of mixed reviews, but uh, a lot of people do like it. Um, yeah, it he's he's a unique filmmaker. I I would say you can see the ones where it's probably more of a like this is what I want to do versus this is how I make my paycheck for the year kind of thing. Um, yeah, especially because I, I did watch Slacker after uh, reading Kevin Smith's autobiography, um, and he attributed Slacker as the movie that kind of inspired him to be a filmmaker. Um, and so I went, I went, I sought it out and watched it on uh, Netflix, not connecting who directed it. Like it never clicked that it was the guy who did Days and Confused till way later. But um, yeah, I need to retry watching it. I haven't really gotten through that one. 
Yeah, it's well, it's it's a series of vignettes that are all loosely connected with yeah. the moving camera. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's fine. There's some interesting vignettes in it. Um, they're more tied together than uh, coffee and cigarettes. So I'll tell you that. But um, all right, Days and Fuse. I think that's the film all three of us are fans of. Corey, did you have anything to add? No, I love that movie. I love Parker Posey in it. I'm sure I've said that before uh, when we've talked about this. Mike's but... a big fan of hers. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I love her. And who am I leaving? Honestly, everybody in that cast, Rory Cochran. Um, I love him. I've only seen him in three movies, but still. That's uh, well, I was Lucas, really glad right? to see him. Yes. I'd only really... Uh, I remember when I saw him cast in CSI Miami, it was very sad that he wasn't on there anymore. But just to see him so differently, gosh, look at all these people. I just saw I him. I can't even go through the name. Rory Cochran was in uh, Argo, I think, as well. Um, oh, cool. And then he yeah. was in something more recent that I can't think of what it is. But that was like, I was like, who is that guy? Is that Lucas? Because I, I know him from Empire Records. That's where I grew up watching yep. him. And then Dazed and Confused was the other thing I knew him from. But. Um, I, I guess well, let's move into my number three. Uh, my number three is from 2007 and is a Paul Thomas Anderson film. And I've heard from many people it's it's one of uh, many people would say this is one of the best movies ever made. Um, and it is uh, There Will Be Blood from uh, 2007. Um, I've only seen this once and I watched it a few years ago with my uh, with uh, Burke Reviews editor David Ortega. And um we both loved it, and I've been wanting to rewatch it because I, I just, I when I watched it, I think I was still kind of entering like understanding film on a higher level than just for entertainment, and so I definitely want to revisit this. And Paul Thomas Anderson's a director who I really need to go through and and watch all of his stuff. I've heard so many great things about his work, and I definitely have not explored enough of his movies. Um, but uh, Daniel Day Lewis is amazing as Daniel Plainview. Uh, Paul Dano is in this, which I, I'm a huge Paul Dano fan. Uh, Syrian Hines, oh. again, uh, he was in, I think, Mike's movie earlier. Um, so that's an interesting, it's funny how that works out. Um, but Oh, and he was in my number five. That's what it was, and it was Woman in my number five. Um, I knew he was in one of, one of the movies from earlier, and he's the villain in Justice League. Uh, well, he's the voice of the villain in Justice League. Um the the movie follows uh, Daniel Plainview as he's moved to um, this area where he knows there's oil. Uh, I think it's I'm trying to find like the official date that this is supposed to be. It's in the the heyday of America um, in California, but I see no dates anywhere. It just says early years of the 20th century. But um, it's awesome period piece as far as like the clothing and the sets because it's kind of it has like an old west vibe to it a little bit not not a western though but you know this just nothing there's vast land and big oil rigs and it's um, production values are super high and obviously when you have Daniel Day Lewis you're gonna have one memorable performance um, and I, I had to weigh my options I had a couple other uh, Daniel Day Lewis movies on my my list here but I, I ended up narrowing it down to just one and I, I went with there will be blood now this is a movie I'm not I'm not doing any real service here because it's a movie that film people know and I don't know if uh, non-film people will love it although I did read a review on um, Letterbox today just like uh, a casual guy had written a review about it and just is like this is one of those movies where um, both critics and fans love it and I no one can really say why 
but there's just something about it that just you just it latches onto you and it's just there because it's a long movie uh it's sitting at two hours and 38 minutes but 93 metacritic 8.1 indb score um it's one that i i know i am going to be rewatching in the in the near future i need to watch honestly i know it i haven't watched it i'm sure i will really enjoy it Mm -hmm. it's one of those holes in my viewing yeah, I got on a Daniel Day Lewis kick. I think I saw Lincoln first, um, and mm-hmm. so I, I started like I'm like, who is this guy? And like, like I had discovered something that everyone else in the whole world knew about. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's crazy how many you know things you can just miss um, growing up and not like not being exposed to it. You know, and then finding it and thinking, oh my god, does anyone else know about this? And then walking and be like, wait, everybody knows about this? How did I not but know? Also. <laughs> We have to think about how many movies are made every single year. It's not like five movies come out and it's easy to consume all of them. Um, but I have also seen this movie one time and Paul Dano is a creep. Yeah. I mean, not really a creep in like the traditional sense, but he definitely creeped me out. Um, and then ah, what happens to his son? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some uh, and, uh, and even the milkshake comment that gets brought up a lot with this movie yeah um i i man i wish i'd seen this more recently so that i could talk a little more about it because it has been a couple years but um i didn't want to stop that from being on this list because i know it's great like i i knew it was great when i saw it um and i i know it's still great even though i maybe can't talk about it as much as i wish i could uh it's a film that i'm gonna be looking at in uh different eyes when i watch it next time so i'm really excited about that all right, that goes to uh, Corey's number three. Okay. I just watched this movie, I think, oh, it must have been early November last year, and I'll tell you how I can remember that in a moment. But it's 2015 Suffragette. Ah, I watched With Carrie Mulligan, Helena Bonham Carter, and one of her very few not Tim Burton whatever films, although now they're broken up, uh, Brendan Gleeson and Meryl Streep. Um... I am glad I did watch this when I did because I was having some really tough times with our presidential election and I wasn't going to go vote. Uh, but I had watched this, so I did go vote um, because I think it's easy to lose sight since I haven't had to necessarily fight for those things that so many people have. But um, it takes place in 1912. Yes. Um, and it follows uh, Carrie Mulligan. She plays Maud and she gets... I don't want to say swept up, but she becomes involved in the suffragette movement, and she's like a laundrette, and all of the things that she has to go through in her personal life when she becomes attached to this movement. She mm-hmm. loses her husband and her son, and um, I just think it's really important. And her husband's uh, Ben Wishaw, uh, um, who is uh, Q in Skyfall and um, Spectre. And then he's also in The Lobster. He's one of the friends of Colin Farrell. Uh, yeah. It sounded like I said the wrong name for a second. Um, and is, he, go ahead. Is he the one that breaks his nose in the pool? Yes. Yeah, that's how he gets his wife in The Lobster. But, okay, perfect. Jeez. That's how you find love in that movie. But yeah, I, I uh, Kathy, my wife, rented this, um, my wife, from Redbox uh, on a random mm-hmm. uh, pull last year. And... Um, I liked it a lot, actually. I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, 
It's uh, I, I felt like Meryl Streep's credit is a little too kind because she's barely in the movie, but because um, she's billed very high on the list. But and like Brendan Gleeson is like way down on the list. But um, I, I I definitely uh, enjoyed the movie and it stuck with me afterwards. Like it really and hell like you mentioned Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter. Um, we're saying her name differently each time. Um, I, I like seeing her get to be in a more dramatic role and not some like. No offense to the Tim Burton movie she's done, but yeah, she's always this big fantasy character, and in this movie she really gets to be, you know, subtle, and she's she's a terrific actress. In fact, I, I want to point out, because I just dissed Tim Burton, but in Charlie and the Cho- Chocolate Factory, she gets to play a very quiet character for a change in a, in a Tim Burton film, um, and she I thought she was great as the mom of Charlie in that movie, so... Um, I like getting, I like seeing her in these smaller parts because she is a really good actress. Um, and I don't, I don't remember when it dawned on me that she was Marla Singer in Fight Club, but it was way later than it should have been because in my head, Marla was so different than all the other characters I'd seen her play that it never clicked that it was the same actress until I was you know much older than, cause I, I did see Fight Club in the theater in 99, um, which I mean, I was 17 then. So it's not like I was a kid kid, but it didn't click for a while. And I was like, holy crap, that's the same actress. But uh, this movie, she gets to really, I think, showcase her acting ability. Agreed. I wish I could say I've seen it. I haven't seen it. Add it to the watch list. Yeah. See, that's where we beat you. We've seen more of the recent films. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that we do add things to your watch list, though. Yeah, yeah. It, it's nice that it's not always just one way, uh, that we both have seen things that you have not seen, and you have seen a lot of things we have not seen. Um, and more like, like actually, though, with this movie, I don't know that I would have, I, I hadn't heard of it, and my wife is way better at randomly picking stuff than I am. I tend to try to rely on things <laughs> I've heard about. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I definitely, this What's... is one that falls into that. What's a scary one she picked? Remember that you were like, oh, man, you know, um, oh. Eloise? Michael Mayer. Oh, Eloise. Okay. No. What? The, yeah, that was like a random HBO demand pick. And, uh, Eloise. Yeah, I, someone that I like is in it, and that's why I agreed to watch it. Um, but it's real bad. Like it's super bad. Oh. And when we were oh, watching it's... it, I'm like, "Did you know you picked Eliza a horror Dushku. movie?" Yeah, she's in it, and uh, I think that one of the male actors is somebody I like. Robert Patrick. Oh, it's Brandon T. Um, Brandon T. Jackson. Yeah, because he's in uh, Tropic Thunder. Um, he's also in the Percy Jackson movies, but I'm trying not to throw that at him. And yes, Robert Patrick, I do like. Um, although he's mm-hmm. not in it a whole lot, but you know that's uh, T1000. Um, have you seen this boy? Yeah, that's in the movie. Uh, no, it's not. But um, <laughs> uh, Eloise, like we were watching it, and I was just like, "Did you know you picked a horror movie?" And she just she won't admit when she doesn't want to keep watching something she's picked. I think out of like stubbornness to. So we watched the whole thing, and I it love was it. there were clips, and I'm like, I'm looking at her like, "You hate this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Like you hate, like because it's like." It's it's super horror. Like it's they're in like a a mental institution and there's ghosts. It's it's uh it was it's bad. Um not not a good one, but it has like a fifteen on I gotta add it to my watch list. I gotta add it to my watch list just to, to feel some camaraderie, some uh <laughs> some uh I don't know. All right. Mike. What was that really bad movie with Renee Zellweger that also takes place in a mental institute? It's like room 
Oh, I don't oh, know. Oh, jeez. Uh, but I, I don't know. But that Eloise does have a fifteen on Metacritic. Just to throw that. Wow. Out there. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's a challenge. That's oh, it's already added to my watch list. That's only two less than Hudson Hawk. I just want to point that out. <laughs> but oh. still, I know they less. don't break out into singing in this one. I'm sure. No, but it may. So. If they had sang, oh, and uh, I if you like to sing, I'm sorry. My pick. It which does. You would think there would be singing in. But there's not. This is another classic that has made its way to my list of picks going all the way back to 1939. I told you my list is all over the place with mm-hmm. time as far as it was made. Uh, there's only really one pick I'm going to pick from 1939. Oh, I know. You know, you should know. Yeah. I have what a is few it? Gone with the Wind. I didn't know if you wanted yes. me to say the name of your movie. Yes. Clark oh, Gable. Sorry. So again, this is one that I can Ooh. hardly do justice to. Plus, it's been around for oh my. Is Ramona okay? <laughs> I dropped my phone. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought he was angry at my pick. You know, I know it's a classic, and it oh, is, no. it's got a very long runtime. Um, so anyway, it's been around nearly eighty years. Gosh, eighty years and Dang. two years. The runtime doesn't make me flinch. As it's just so involving, an amazing to see that a film like this was made with the technology of the time. I mean, it boggles my mind. 1939, they did this. Um, I know it kind of romanticizes that whole horrible time, but just I I dug it, and I, it's one of my wife's favorites, and that's not why I pick it. It's just I picked it on my own, which probably let, makes you wonder what could possibly top this one. I feel my number one pick is pretty solid. The ratings are going to agree with me again. I, I can't really, what can I say and add to it that hasn't already been said? 94% fresh, 93% audience score, 8.2 IMDb score, 3.9 letterbox score. It is, yeah, it's a must see. I still have not watched Gone with the Wind. Oh. It is one of my biggest gaps. Um, it is the runtime. I won't lie. A four-hour runtime it's definitely puts a pause because it's like, well, do I feel like giving up a quarter of my day uh, to, to actually, I guess, no, um, a third of my day to watch this movie? And that's that's rare. It took a lot. I finally did watch Seven Samurai last spring break, uh, which is the same. About I think it's about the exact same. I think it's four hours. And that's on what the I got I to gotta watch. So, there was, so we, we traded off. I went for the samurai route instead of the uh, Civil War romance. But... Um, yeah, it, it's not that I don't want to watch it, although it does seem to be distasteful in some ways now. Um, that is obviously something you hear a lot with the movie because of the time period, like you mentioned. But yeah, it's 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 on my list, and I do own it. To be fair, like I, I bought it several years ago, and it's just I just look at it and go like, "Yep, one day that's gonna get watched," but it hasn't happened yet. No, it's 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 one of the few double VHS ones we didn't get rid of. I think it was that one and Scarface on the double VHS that we held on to. Remember those? Those my grandma used to have several of those double, like JFK, those Godfather. <laughs> she had. Um, we even I, I, there was something else I can't think of now. That oh, um, Sound of Music. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yep. Um, it gave you that fe- that feeling of you know being the projectionist. Oh, time to switch over the tapes. Yeah. <laughs> Look for the burn. Cigarette marks. burn. Splice, <laughs> splice in some incorrect frames and inappropriate frames. Well, we're going from the number one money-making movie of all time, uh, adjusted for inflation, Gone with the Wind, 
to a, a, a little, little less serious uh, period piece, but still, I think, an important one. And I know, again, uh, I'm failing at having new movies. I definitely have talked about this at least once, but I can't help it because I do love this movie. Um, and it, 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 A League of Their Own from 1992. Oh. Um, I It's directed by Penny Marshall, stars Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Lori Petty, um, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, um, and several other female actresses who uh, are, you know, recruited to play professional baseball during World War II. Um, when a lot of the professional athletes had been drafted and uh, the owners are worried about, you know, not just their income, but also America. They have no distractions. Everyone's worried about the war. So let's do something different. And uh, they form the All-American Girls Baseball League. And I, I've seen this movie countless times. Like, I can't even try to count how many different times I've watched this film. And every time I enjoy it... Um, I love the dynamics of Gina Davis and Tom Hanks together, and I also love the sister dynamic with her and Lori Petty. Um, it's it's just a fun movie that shows you kind of what it was like um, with, for women at the time. Because as soon as the men are coming home, uh, you know you have the the guy that's I, I think supposed to be like a Hershey an amalgamation of all the different corporations, um, saying that what do you want me to send the boys coming home from war back to the kitchen? And it's like you see that the oppression that still is happening in this time period. And um, I, I love the looks of it, you know, the costuming, the, the uniforms of obviously for the baseball, but even the dresses and they go out dancing and the cars that they're in. It's just, it's just fantastic. Even the bus, right? Like the look of the bus <laughs> is so dated to that time period. Um, I, I love this movie and it's, it, you know, I don't know. Uh, critically, it's got a 67 on Metacritic, which for a sports comedy, that's pretty high. You know, like that's not something you're going to see a, a high Metacritic score like that. 7.2 IMDb user rating. Um, yeah, this is it's a PG film, too. So it's one that the whole family can watch, even though there's a few scenes that maybe are questionable. Uh, Madonna talking about her bosoms popping out and uh, one of the longest P's in film history, I believe, that Tom Hanks uh, <laughs> has. Um, so, yeah, I... I I forgot about that. Yeah, um, I, I, I haven't because I've seen this movie so many freaking I, times. I, I figured it would challenge um, the naked gun scene, I'm sure. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, um, but uh, I, I definitely, when I'm thinking period pieces, this movie you know does that. Um, now, there is a framing device because it's set. I don't know what year the museum is supposed to be, if that was present day when the film was made. Like if it was supposed to be nineties, so. um, and so that does come to question I had earlier. Most of the movie is a period piece, but there is the framing device at the beginning and end of the movie where Dottie is reminiscing because she's going to see these people she hasn't seen in a long time, thinking about the baseball team, and then it ends with her going to the museum and seeing all of her friends and them, you know, some very sad, touching moments because it was based on a true story um, to some degree, and so. Yeah, um, I don't know. I hope it doesn't violate this as a pick, especially since this is my number two. But it is not a hundred percent period piece. So, I, I would say it's more period piece than not because mm -hmm. that's only the bookends of yeah. it, and they're not jumping back and forth throughout the film. It's once no. you're there, you're in that time period. It recreates that whole feeling. I mean, I <clears throat> excuse me, I shudder to think what it would have cost to procure that bus of that time i mean i yeah. guess people Ooh. are collectors a bit you know you'd have to be very careful with that it's it was an operating condition and you know and just overall 
it again feels like you're back in the 40s and yeah. that's I, I think the the thing with the period piece it, so it works and i think it's a it's a valid i approve it anyone seconding <laughs> I'm, I'm moving i'm pushing the motion forward um, uh, that sounds like the creepy guy from Family Guy. I will not take his <laughs> I am definitely not accepting a motion from him. All right. Or what? it, or her, whatever that was. <laughs> Corey, you have anything to add? I need to rewatch this. I liked it so much when I was a kid, and I loved it. I loved Madonna so much. Yes. So yeah, strange. Oh, Lori Petty, too. And Gina Davis. Oh, just yes. I need to rewatch it. And Tom Hanks, guys. Tom Hanks. I mean, if yeah. nobody so else. I I heard, yeah. I was listening to Douglas movies today, and um, they were doing a, a just um, adjusted for inflation, where they they give an actor and you pick their top three money making movies, and mm-hmm. one of them that he did was Adam Sandler, and uh, people in the audience were kind of like scoffing at some of the movies that they were guessing, and and uh, Sam Levine was one of the guests, and he said. Um, it's like what you have to remember is that in the '90s, in like the late '90s, Adam Sandler was making like Tom Hanks box office. Like, if Adam was attached to a movie like Big Daddy and Waterboy, those movies made huge money, and he was making like twenty million dollars a movie at that time. And that's hard Dang. to think about now when you think of like what he's done in the last ten years, because um, Tom Hanks has never gone down after he, you know, he beat the comedies of the '80s and got to that point where he was getting the serious dramatic roles. And he's never really dropped. Even when his movies don't do super well, the next one's not going to necessarily reflect that. You know, like, he'll do a bad movie, but then he'll have a really big movie, and he'll do a bad movie. And it's not necessarily a bad movie. It's just, you know, underseen. Like, Hologram for the King was a really good example from last year. So it's, it's a solid movie. Most people didn't even have the opportunity to see it. But it's it's he's great in it. And then there's that awful freaking Dan Brown movie from last year, Inferno, is so bad. <laughs> In- Inferno. 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 That I was going to say that's what I got you for Christmas, but... Oh, you want me to burn for Dracula, the wow. uh, Criterion Collection? Yes! No, I was saying, um, whatever, oh. I don't even remember. What I almost, uh, know. the trilogy, oh, the, the, the Dan the Brown trilogy was uh, on Blu-ray for like 10 bucks. I was like, <laughs> nope. Um, so, Corey, what's your number two? Okay, I've talked about this movie before too, sorry guys. It's 2013's Inside... Lewin Davis. Ah, nice. Directed and written and everything else by the Coens. And I'm forgetting what year it takes place. Oh, 1961. Um, Oscar Isaac plays Lewin Davis, who is, um, he was part of a duo and his partner, uh, committed suicide. Oh. And now he's still trying to be successful in the folk music world in New York. Um, Greenwich Village. Yes, thank you. I was forgetting the name. Um, it has uh, Carrie Mulligan is in this one also. Yep. Um, yeah, John Goodman, JT is in it, and I just remember when the movie came out and people were complaining that Justin Timberlake was in it and wouldn't even give the movie a chance or like watch it or anything at all because he's in it, and he is hilarious in he this is. movie. But it's not like. It doesn't take away from the movie. It doesn't seem out of place. Um, and th- I mean, I think this is a this would be a dark comedy, yeah. Yeah, because of the the 
like you said, mentioned suicide, and also he, he's struggling to get by. Period. So yeah, he's like couch surfing and whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, I hate Carrie Mulligan's character in this movie so much. But you're so supposed much. to. Um, I actually thought I, I thought you might have this one on your list. Um, because I I was eyeballing oh. a lot of the Cohen films qualify as a period piece. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I weighed a few, um, when I was, and I ended up not picking any of them, unfortunately, but, um, I, I'm a huge Cohen fan. Actually, uh, I'm wondering if Mike's is Miller's Crossing, but, um, uh, his number one that is, but, um, I need to rewatch this one because I, when I watched it, I think I was occupied the first like 20 minutes or so. Um, so I didn't, I didn't remember the suicide, uh, thing actually, but, um, I, the music pulled me in so fast and then. Oscar Isaac in this movie is so great. And Adam Driver is also in this, too. Uh, little Kylo Ren. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what he does. I think he might be the Isn't competing he... musician. He's Al Cody. Oh. Um, oh, he's the cowboy guy who comes in as he's, like, leaving the apartment they're staying in. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I need to I need to rewatch this for sure. I do own this one. Um, and, again, I, I love the Coens, so I tend to uh, – I think I own <sighs> almost everything. I still don't own Hudsucker Proxy – um, and I have not watched that one intolerable cruelty. Is that theirs or is that whatever the George Clooney and, um, yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, it's theirs, I think. And, uh, and then I don't own lady killers, but I don't think I'm going to, I, really I don't know if I've one. mentioned this before, but I do love this soundtrack a lot. And when it first came out, cause you know, they always release the soundtracks right before the movie. Mm-hmm. They had like a one day special everywhere i guess maybe just independent record stores where the vinyl was the price it would have been in 1961 so it was like six dollars nice yeah i thought that was pretty cool because it's like heavyweight vinyl and everything like that so i thought that was cool well that's Corey's number two uh mike have you seen inside luland davis i haven't i need to i I like carrie milligan and and drive the little bit that she was yeah. in, so I'm sure she's been a popular uh, actress this night. Um, oh yeah, she's the common theme. I guess we have a theme in and C- Syrian Hines too. Syrian and Carrie must do a movie together. Um, again, I guess. Um, all right, uh, Mike, that's to your number one. All right, so it was difficult for me. To pick something that would be ahead of Gone with the Wind, and I did, and I've gone with Ang Lee's 2000s film, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Wow. And one of the reasons I would figure it stuck with me is because of the many Saturday mornings I spent watching local, and I forget which channel it was in Miami, that ran Kung Fu Theater. It was a Saturday. It was Tarzan Theater, Kung Fu Theater... Uh, and probably like monster Japanese Toho style monster mm-hmm. films. Uh, and so in between, I would just watch it. And so this, this film obviously lends a whole lot of more legitimacy to the genre. And it was an unexpected surprise for me on its release. And surprising even more to me was the fact that unless I misread it, it's supposed to be set in the 1700s. See, I don't know unless I'm, I'm misreading the way I, it was. I don't, double check. I don't know for sure, but and that just is you know obviously it's fictional because you can tell everything with all the effects and everything. Yeah. And uh, as I started reading more about it, it reminded me of the fact that I hadn't ventured into watching the f- sequel just out of fear of 
of ruining a good thing. I really mm, makes me, you know, when you've seen something, you just don't want to, you want to, you know, like the original matrix would have been okay by itself. And <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and angling didn't direct the second one. It was the guy that put together all the, uh, all the choreography and all the stunts and everything. I think was the director for the second one. So score wise though, it does beat gone with the wind is 97% fresh uh, the audience score isn't as high, 86% uh, score. IMDb score is lower as well, at 7.9. 3.8 letterbox score and 93 meta score. So I feel pretty confident in this choice. Oh, yeah. I really like Chow Yun-Fat. Chow Yun-Fat? Yeah. And um, this stuck with me. I want to watch it again. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. I need to watch it before I try to tackle the sequel. Well, the sequel is a miniseries, isn't it, on Netflix, or is it a, is oh, it a single movie? I think it's just a film, I believe. Okay, because it is a Netflix original, Michelle, if I'm not mistaken, though. Michelle Yeoh returns mm-hmm. for it, so, I, I mean, that should be a good sign. I saw this, I think I was still in high school. What year did it come out? It was 2000. 2000. Oh, okay, I was just starting. Uh, well, just graduating or just starting college. Um, and I, I did rent it and watch it, um, still on VHS, of course. And I, I liked it a lot. And I, I've that was the time when I was still really into kung fu movies. Like I've, I don't think I've watched a real kung fu movie, um, with the exception of Kill Bill, which is t- you know debatable if that's a real kung fu movie or not. Um, in, in several years, and I used to love them though. They used to be kind of my like I loved martial art movies. That's what I was into, and I really enjoyed that movie. I I don't remember it very well. I just know that I liked it. Um, I did buy it recently because I want to somehow integrate it into my my teaching. I have not figured out where I want to put it just yet. Because um, Ang Lee is one of those directors where you have Life of Pi and you have Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which are two visually stunning films that are both you know award winning type movies, and then you have The Hulk and yeah, yeah. Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which was such garbage from last year. Um, I just caught the tail end of that today, and I just, uh, mm, I cringed. Yeah, it's bad, dude. It's real bad. Um, some people like but, it. But, I mean, he he's, uh, if you haven't watched The Ice Storm, that I have one not. really stuck with me. Uh, that was his. Um, so, it, it's he has an uneven body of work. He does. Very all over the place. Well, especially uh, because wise. it's not just like. There are directors who have like these huge, like epic people love, and then you might have some that are not fantastic or not does but like people hate the hulk like actively hate that movie um and uh i think a lot of people i I don't think a lot of people saw billy lynn's long halftime walk like it was one that kind of came and went and got a lot of negative press from critics and uh it just didn't click um and that was a movie that was set to be really successful because anytime you you tie the military in you usually have a built-in audience you know that uh military yeah, movies, but it, it didn't work it, it did not work parts it, it just i will say before i get loose uh my, my train of thought kung fu wise and this one's more comedic um kind of silly do you kung know uh, stephen chow the guy that did shanghai uh, shaolin shaolin soccer i i, I saw shaolin called- soccer Okay, so did you enjoy Shaolin? I did, and I just remembered that. I guess that technically qualifies as a kung fu movie that I watched last year. So, <laughs> well, then there's a companion piece if you haven't watched it. Give a kung fu hustle. Yeah, it's not as it's a little bit darker. It's R-rated, but that's uh, and I could have I guess included it on my honorable mentions. It just I, I couldn't see that as my number one. Yeah, no, no question. All right, uh, Corey, have you seen uh, Crouching Tiger? I have not. Mm. 
Did it's you, the runtime, isn't it? Did you see? Uh, you saw two of Mike's movies, though, right? You saw From Hell and um, what was his number two? Oh, Gone with the Wind. So you yes. you you met your goal. I saw two. I saw number three and number one, but I own four of the five. I think that counts. I think that counts. <laughs> Oh, he's trying to sneak it in. You see what he's doing, yeah. <laughs> I see that. Because I, I own I own number four and number two. I just haven't watched them. So I think that counts. Um, not sure, but feels like mm-hmm. I know of those movies. It's not like I've never heard of them or something, but fine. Corey wins this week. Um, we say that about so many movies. I know. We have, we, we I've are, heard of it. We just like to I've buy things. I've seen the box art. Um, Yes, it's a problem. Americans. Yeah, capitalism at its finest. Uh, oh, no. I'm lower middle class, but I own a bunch of movies. All right, guys. My number <laughs> one is uh, a David Fincher film. No surprise if you've heard me. I am a, definitely a Fincher fan. Um, and it's uh, 2007 Zodiac, set in 1960s, yeah. early 70s San Francisco. Um, I was so wrapped into this story. Uh, I don't remember exactly how I was introduced to the Zodiac Killer. I think maybe when they were announced that they were making this movie, I was like, what's this? There's a serial killer who was never caught that not only was not caught but taunted the police with, like, letters. And I got so entrenched in this idea of this. Uh, it felt like a I found a comic book come to life to me um, when I was introduced with the premise. Uh, and I read the novel um, that is, you know, the, basically the the – set up for the film where you have Jake Gyllenhaal's character Robert Graysmith. I read Robert Graysmith's true crime novel about the Zodiac before I saw the movie. I got so, again, entrenched in the premise. I, I went to the theater alone. Um, I, I went uh, by myself to see this, and I loved it. And it, it um, I was not really familiar with Robert Downey Jr. at the time, so it introduced me to him. It also introduced me to Mark Ruffalo, but didn't realize it for many years that that was where I first saw Mark Ruffalo. Um and uh, John Carroll Lynch, which is the first time I realized that he is super creepy outside of being Drew Carey's brother on the Drew Carey show, um, which I guess he was portrayed as creepy on that show, although probably not correctly. So um, and then I didn't realize until just a little bit ago, but Chloe Sevigny is in this as well. Um, I haven't seen it in a few years, but I loved it when I saw it. And it's one I'm planning on rewatching. I recently bought digital um, it is a long one, Corey, if you haven't seen it. It's two hours and 37 minutes, but um, I think it's worth it. Uh, it, it. You do get a sense of the war, the city because this man terrorized San Francisco in 2000, not in 2000, in uh, the 1960s and 1970s. People were on edge. They weren't sure, um, you know, what when he was going to strike next. And, of course, some of the kills that he takes credit for, there was belief that maybe he didn't do the killing, but he was just taking credit for them. And so there's he's creates a sense of terror during this time period, and Robert Graysmith, uh, again Jake Gyllenhaal's character, becomes obsessed with it. He's a cartoonist, but he becomes essentially a detective on his own time, um, trying to solve this mystery. He's so captivated by it, and I, I found the uh, obsession in the film to be super compelling. And again, it's you just get this sense of San Francisco and this dread of this beautiful city put uh, to you know to terror by this maniac so uh, that's my pick zodiac that's a great pick i have to watch i actually started watching it again very recently it's on one of the one of the streaming services but did you catch this season of american horror story cult i have not watched cult um i'm probably going to watch it when it comes out on uh netflix okay it's there's there's uh it's not really much of a spoiler but there's a 
mention of it and kind of an interesting take on who may have possibly been responsible. Obviously, oh. it's their fictional take. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, ooh, that would totally fit. I'll leave it up to you to watch it. Um, well, and then... Uh, uh, I, it's one of the few recent American Horror Story seasons I've watched without fail. Ah. And for me to commit to a show is not common. Nice. Well, I also... Uh, Watch Dogs 2 has a uh, Zodiac story arc in it. I think I think it was a DLC, but I I really liked um, because it's not set in the past; it's set in modern day, but it's set in San Francisco, yeah. um, and so yeah. the premise is that the Zodiac Killer returns, and it's it's pretty interesting how it ties into the 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 game. Not not a you know anyway, but I'm just I'm still fixated on the premise of this because it's possible that, that the killer's still out there. Um, it's also mm-hmm. very likely he's dead or dying at this point, but it's still it's not impossible. So it's it's crazy there, to think there's of. a someone that was very much a person of interest that had died in prison yeah that some people feel is, is pretty much the person but again like jack the ripper we may never know yep Corey, you have any but thoughts? i think it's very interesting i haven't seen the movie i don't know oh. why that case hasn't it doesn't i don't know why it doesn't interest me very much i don't know why oh man that um but i think it's very interesting because people with I don't even want to call them tendencies, but they don't just stop usually. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't just mm-hmm. stop on their own accord. So, hmm. You know, I that would think, be interesting if he was in prison. As you were talking about it, I think I'm pretty sure they did um, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries with uh, the Zodiac Killer. And I think that might have been what made me look for the book. And then I found out about the movie coming out. and not It was like all... A weird disconnected thing. I might be wrong, but um, weren't they? Re- I weren't they receiving letters in New York too from someone who was claiming to be the Zodiac killer? I don't remember for sure, but oh, it's definitely see possible. that was so fit with what I'm thinking of, which they met reference to in American Horror Story. That's crazy. Hey, and at a running time of 158 minutes, this is tailor made for you, Corey. Yeah. And uh, just confirmed, uh, episode 257, uh, season 9 of Unsolved Holy Mysteries. Um, that might be wrong. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at Wikipedia, so God knows of how accurate these numbers are. But season 9, so if you figure like 20 episode seasons. Um, well, I'm in like season 3 now, so I'll let you know. Okay, well, it looks like that. I think that's what set me off to find the book. And then I bought the book, and then the movie was coming out. And I was like, oh, that's weird. But, like... As Hollywood does, I feel like wasn't that around the time that the Black Dahlia movie came out and they were like... Well, there were two Black Dahlia movies, I thought. Yeah, there have been a few that play on the, the premise as well. Um, which actually recently released Rockstar, uh, re-released Rockstar game um, L.A. Noir is about the Black uh, Dahlia. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, weird how it all ties together, folks. 2006 was the Black Dahlia movie that I think you're thinking of, so it was the year before. But um, with Josh Hartnett, uh, I can mm-hmm. confirm. Hang I on, I think so. But okay. all right, Corey, what's your number one? While I confirm the actor. Okay, yes, mine is from 2011. I've also talked about this movie. I am now fired. Um, it has Mia Wasikowska and Michael Fassbender, and it's Jane Eyre. No. There have been a million adaptations of this, <laughs> um, but this is probably the. Only, I think this is the only one I've watched. 
and I love it because I love both of those actors. Um, and Mia Wasikowska plays Jane Eyre, a orphaned girl who grows up to be a governess, and then she falls in love with Mr. Rochester. And I forget what year it's set in. I, Your favorite time period, Victorian, though, John? Yeah, that's why I haven't sure, watched yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm not a. Not a Bronte. Yeah, I'm looking at the people. Also I want to like, read this book so bad. I'm looking at the people. And I want to like read it'll, it'll all end in tears. Just telling you. We got Becoming Probably. Jane, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, Young Victoria, The Duchess. Like these are all things that are on the list, and I'm just like, yeah, none of those look like I want to watch them. And I have to like, I think I watched Pride and Prejudice, not the Kira Knightley one. Um, it would have been older, but like. One of my high school teachers put the movie on, like, before Christmas, too. Like, that was a treat. Like, hey, let's watch a movie. And, like, why are we watching this? Um, oh, no. It, it was torture then, and I've never gone back to them. So I it, I have a very unfair bias as it's based off of one experience. But the the they never appeal to me from the look of them. There's just, like, this stuck-up air about them that I can't get past to even attempt to watch and the movies. Air about Jane Eyre? Exactly. You, <laughs> you hear me. Um, Wuthering Heights too and then there's something else that's in that same vein that I'm not thinking of right now that I it just they all they all don't appeal to me um, but I totally it's definitely a great period piece uh, premise at the very least right because of the big dresses and the, the setting is really expensive and fancy um, so I totally, it definitely works for this premise. I actually thought Crimson Peak was going to be on your list. Uh, but, I did leave that one off. Yeah, you, and I you always mispronounce her name. It's Vazakowska. Uh, it's V's instead of W's, how it's pronounced. Okay, so there so we go. Is she German? Vazakowska. Um, I'm not sure. She's Australian. What? But another shrimp of the Bobby. Yeah. I would never guess she's Australian. Vazakowska? I can't say it. Fired. It's okay. I had to learn how to say Saoirse Ronan. So <laughs> you awesome. just did it right. Oh, yeah. It no, it's been mastered. Oh, I, I've been practicing yeah, it, takes, it. That takes work. It, no, yeah, it it's does. not a joke, guys. I will be walking and I'll just be like, Saoirse like inertia. Saoirse like inertia. <laughs> those are her words from a video that I watched to learn how to say her name. So when we did uh, Violet and Daisy, I wouldn't screw it up. So it's, it's yeah, Saoirse Ronan. I got you, girl. Um Ladybird rocks. Uh, so uh, let's go to honorable mentions. Mike. So bad. Um, what do you got, bub? I have Dangerous Liaisons, which I've mentioned before. A Man for All Seasons, which I've mentioned before. The Age of Innocence, which I finally searched on my list. It was for book adaptations. I was wondering where did I use that one. So uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, period piece of all directors, yeah. Anna and the King, which part of me wanted to lean towards. The Rogers and Hammerstein, King and I, mm -hmm. but I really love Jodie Foster. You do love Jodie Foster. Chow Young Fat too, and, right? Pardon? Is it Chow Young Fat in that? Uh, yes, I was about to say that. So we uh, probably fans of the old Yul Brenner and I can't remember the female lead in that one uh, versions would not enjoy it. I really, my wife and I really enjoyed it. So, uh, but wife. not enough that I could have put it in my top five. And lastly. The Cider House Rules. I love that movie. I have not seen it. But I would. you mentioned Martin Scorsese, and uh, there are so many of his films that you could put on a period piece movie. 
Um, I had Gangs of oh, yeah. New York, um, The Aviator, and his most recent film, Silence, which uh, is oh. amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially as a period piece. The, some of the sets are just so stunning. Um, I had True Grit from uh, the Coens. Um, I had The Wedding Singer, uh, which I've, you know, mm-hmm. already had on the list before, but I do love that movie. And it, it feels like, the, to me, that movie is how I picture the 80s, I think more than anything else, um, for some reason. Uh, I have Lady Bird on my list because Lady Bird is set in 2002. Um, mm. And I that was one of the ones that I was debating. I honestly, th- it, it could easily be in my top five, um, but I opted to not. Um, I have Almost Famous on my uh, honorable mentions. Um mm. Wonder Woman, because it's set in uh, World War One, uh, even though again the bookends are not. But and then one that I couldn't tell um, that I really want to mention is Singing in the Rain, because it is set twenty years earlier than it was made. It's set in okay. the th- it's set in the '30s studio period, um, and it's made in the '50s. But it's I don't having not lived in either one of those time periods. It's I don't think I would know that if I hadn't studied it as a film. Um, so, I, you know, I've done my research on it. So I know when I first saw Singing in the Rain, I just assumed it was happening when it was talking about it happening, you know, because it's at the rise of talkies is when the jazz singer. And that's the other thing. It is historical because the jazz singer is the first talkie. And that is what happens in this movie. It triggers the the rise of the talking film inside the, the film. But Singing in the Rain is made 20 years after the jazz singer. So, um but definitely, uh, I think, you know, it, it's a really cool historical piece because it shows you what the studio system was like and um, how it controlled so much of the actors' lives during that time period. So, And, Corey, what's your honorable mentions? I have The Secret Garden, Little Women, Slow West, The Others, and Girl Interrupted. Although Girl Interrupted is based on a true story, so I wasn't sure. The one in a writer... Uh, that's when she's in like the um, mental institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she plays Susanna Case in the author. Oh, what time period is that supposed to be? Sixty-seven. Uh, wow, I yeah, did not put that right. together when I watched it. Um, Eighteen. And the the other yeah. thing, I don't know how many times you if you did this a few times or not. I would start to think of a movie that has like a really great like like I mentioned singles um, on our on our group chat. And I was like, wait a minute, that was actually made in yeah, the grunge yeah. period. But like looking back now, it feels like a period piece because it's like, wow, what yeah. a great representation of that time well, period. It's like, wait, it is that Breakfast time. Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's nope. idiot. No, yeah, nope. And I, I was just thinking when you said Girl Interrupted, I was like, oh, kind of like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I was like, wait a minute, I don't know if that one oh, is a period right. piece or not. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm, now I'm thinking it must be because it has to be older than the '70s in the setting of the movie, but I don't know. So yeah. All right. We're going to, we're going to throw 12 monkeys in there too, then. Cause it goes through all sorts of time periods. Oh, that's not fair. Um, it does. <laughs> it does. I mean, time travel. Obviously you can't go f- uh, forward. Cause then it's not set on a real time, but, um, then you have to argue star Wars cause it's set far, far away. Right. You know, a galaxy a long yeah, time ago. That's a period. piece. That's a period man. piece, man. Just not from earth, but it's a period piece of Tatooine. And the the old republic and such. So um, that's our top five, folks. We will be back next week with another top five list. Uh, we definitely want to hear from you because we know this one's going to have some uh, controversial opinions. But send us your thoughts at contact at com. That, again, is contact at com. Um, we hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. We will be back again 
next week. Corey, Mike, thank you so much. Thank you. You guys have yeah. a good week. Me too. All right. Peace, everybody. Bye. All right. Bye.